Hotspot hosts are the most important part of the Helium ecosystem. That's why Fairspot gives 70% of mining revenue to our hosts, with payouts every Friday. Unlike other services that offer as little as 20% and keep the rest to themselves, we put you first by sending you a free hotspot and giving you your fair share of the earnings. No referral programs, no hype. Just a shared mission to grow the Helium network and empower you to monetize your airspace without any upfront investment. Learn more at fairspot.host. Welcome to the Hotspot. I'm your host, Armand Desfouli-Arjamandi. Today, we have a conversation with Frank Mong, the Chief Operating Officer at Helium Inc. We discuss the new Rack Hotspot Miner, the perils of supply chains, Amazon Sidewalk, and more. Before we dive in, I want to congratulate George Heyman, the winner of my Hotspot giveaway on Twitter. Thanks so much to everyone who entered. If you missed out on the chance to enter, well, I've got good news. I'll be giving away another Hotspot. So follow me on Twitter, at Armand Hotspot, that's A-R-M-A-N Hotspot, and keep an eye out for the next giveaway. It's coming sooner than you think. Finally, a fair warning. There's more profanity than usual in this episode, so if you're in the car with your kids, make sure they activate their noise-canceling personal audio device of choice. Frank, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Armand. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's so great to finally have you. Um, I think you're an important part of the Helium community, being the chief operating officer, and uh, really excited to get your thoughts on today's news. But before we get started, I'd just love if you could talk a bit about yourself, how you got involved in Helium, and, and why you're excited about this project. Thank you. Yeah, I'd love the opportunity to just give a quick overview of who I am and why I'm involved with Helium here. Uh, my background is actually about 20 plus years in mostly cybersecurity, I would say. Uh, everything from those early days at a company called SonicWall. Uh, it's a firewall company from back in late 90s um, to being at Symantec through the great uh, antivirus run uh, when antiviruses were, were kind of a, a problem back in the day in the uh, early 2000s, mid 2000s. And then I, I actually um, moved off and did a startup uh, in IoT, believe it or not, called Silver Spring Networks where uh, they were involved with smart meters and deploying smart metering for uh, utilities across the United States. And I went public with that company. Then I got recruited back into security uh, under HP, uh, which is now, I think, split into different companies. But I was there with uh, Meg Whitman as CEO and trying to help turn that company around and ran the encryption business at HP for a couple of years. And then got recruited to Palo Alto Networks, where I was running product marketing there for a couple of years. Uh, and uh, before joining Helium, I was actually only at uh, Hortonworks as their CMO for a couple of months, as they were going through a lot of changes in organization and turmoil. Um, but uh, what I think drove me to Helium ultimately was Amir, Amir Halim, the CEO and co-founder. He uh, he and I talked for three months before I agreed to join. <laughs> wow. And the interesting, <laughs> I don't know if we were told the story. The interesting part to that is he, he and I were introduced through Vinod Kosla and I 
think I was just leaving Hortonworks after just a two month stint, which is really short. It was a mistake on my part to go there. What was that? What is that Hortonworks that like Horton hears a who? Like what? what yeah, yeah. That? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Hortonworks was, are the creators of the distribution Hadoop, which is the database. Oh, got it. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, yeah. Anyway, it was a mistake for me to go there. Um, but I, uh, you know, started talking to like 40 different companies with a cybersecurity background and, you know, sort of the chief marketing officer kind of role. It was quite a lot of different opportunities to look at, fortunately for me. Um, and so Helium was number one on my list of companies to talk to, not, not by priority, just because they were the first on the list. I happened to talk to like someone, either Renaud or somebody at Coastal Ventures, and uh, they put me on the Helium to chat. And so I had a list of, I think, 50 companies, something like that, that I was scheduled to talk to, to see what I wanted to do. And Helium was first, so I met up with Amir at the Helium offices uh, in San Francisco, their headquarters in the shitty part of town. It's like every everywhere in San Francisco is booming at the time. But Helium was in this just crappy building, like homeless everywhere and shit all over the streets. And I remember walking into to this building going, oh my God, like, what am I doing? Walking into this dark, like, hallway, these dark stairs. And then I opened the door to the Helium office and it was just, it was weird. It was like beautiful. It was all white. It was really bright and it had this really cool vibe. It was just, it's hard to describe, but it was, it, it was more than quintessential startup. It was like, it was like someone's loft, like someone lived there. It was like a loft with some desks and some a living room, TVs, and then these like pretty cool conference rooms that were all just windows, like glass. And I sat, sat down with the mirror and I started looking at all this hardware and it just brought back these memories of hardware. So I've done hardware a couple of times in my career and how, how much I hated hardware. So I didn't say that to him, but I sat there and we introduce each other, talk a little bit about IOT. And I pretty much couldn't help myself after like 15 minutes. I just said, Hey dude, I hate hardware, you know? And I said, I, 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 I do, I am interested in what you're doing with the IOT. I, I get it, but I am the wrong guy. Like, you're looking, I'm, I'm just the wrong guy for this job. He was looking for like, you know, COO to drive sales for Helium. And, you know, I've never been a leader in sales at all. I've done some BD, but I certainly haven't led sales. So, you know, I thought, ah, you know, I'm not really into hardware. IOT is interesting. I'm not a sales leader. So super honest with the guy and just say, look, I'm not, I'm the wrong guy, Amir. And then we, he's like, okay, cool. You know, I said, but you know, when you start chit-chatting about other things, he, you know, he mentioned Quake and I'm like, I love playing Quake and used to, I built my first PC so I can play Quake. And he said, oh yeah, me too. So we started just talking about gaming and like racing and cars. It's a good conversation, cool guy. And I said, neat, neat fellow, right? Good to meet him. And so I say, you know what, I'll, I'll introduce you to like a few people in the world of IoT that I think would be perfect for this job, but I'm just not the right guy. And we say, cool, I appreciate that. So I sent him an email with a bunch of names. <clears throat> and a month later, so then I go off and I interview with like, I meet with like 10 other companies, I think, uh, during that time, a month. 30 days later, he texts me and say, hey, you want to meet up for drinks at Dirty Water, which is a, 
a bar that's closed now, but it was at the basement or the ground floor of the Twitter building in San Francisco. So I was like, all right, sure. Why not? I meet up for drinks with him. He's like, Hey, thanks for those names. I actually called them and taught and met with, met with some of them. I'm like, Oh, great. How'd it go? Did you hire someone? He said, no, I didn't, but they, they all said I should hire you. <laughs> I was like, uh, what? He's like, yeah, yeah. I, I, the people that you recommended said I should hire you. And I said, no, dude, no, that, there must be a mistake. <laughs> I'm like the last guy you should hire. <laughs> and then we just kind of rant and riff on it. And, um, just walk away, you know, walk, walked away after an hour, continued to talk to Mir, and he had this weird gadget in his hand. It's like the, you know, you, some of our community members have these uh, LoRaWAN mappers uh, walking around, mapping networks. Amir had built his own, like the early days version of that. He was map, he was like testing range of the like pre-helium hotspot. This is like pre-alpha. This is probably some kind of like proof of concept Frankenstein he was building. And so he was just mapping distance and he had that on his, like on a battery pack, he was holding his huge, it looked like a bomb. It just looked like an explosive device, like a plastic bomb. And I was like, what the fuck is that dude? And he's like, Oh, I'm testing something. I'm like, Oh, Oh shit. It looks like you're like a terrorist holding a bomb, man. And I want to put that in a backpack or something. He's like, Oh, Oh, I suppose. And then we, uh, we part ways. So I, I go and I meet with like 10 more companies. He texts me again, 30 days, 30 days later. And it's like, Hey, let's, let's meet up for drinks again. You want to, you want to talk? And I was like, what for? Like, I <laughs> he's like, just, 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 just meet up for drinks. I'm like, all right, fine. So I meet up with him again. And he's like, Hey, so what do you think? Like, do you want to join helium? And by then I, I already spoken to like 20 other companies and, and I was like, dude, I hate everything. I just didn't like anything else out there. And I was drawn to helium by the IOT factor. I didn't like the hardware. I'm not in sales, but I really liked Amir and having drinks with him and just chit chatting about whatever. Right. And I just enjoyed the conversation. And so finally I, I I was just kind of like, Hey, I've told you I'm not the right guy. Why do you keep insisting that I am the right guy? And this is our, third time meeting now, right? We're having drinks. And he says, well, I think you are the right guy because you think you're not. And none of us are experts in the world of IoT, right? It's been like, you know, a few years of just slugging away and there's no clear winner. So clearly no one really knows what they're doing. And so the fact that you have awareness that you feel like you don't know what you're doing is, is a great thing. And you're not ashamed of it. You're not afraid to, you know, embrace it and, and you're honest about it. So I think, I think, and I know that you are the right guy. He has full conviction that I was the right guy. Cause I'll, I won't be afraid to try anything. And that was, that was, I think the key key for him was that I would be willing to try anything to like figure this out and not let sort of past experiences hinder my ability to try new things. So I thought, oh, I didn't think of that. Like that's a, a really rational way of thinking about it. And that also showed me that this guy's got a really good strategic mind and he's thinking about things differently. Uh, and over just over time and the amount of conversations we've had, he's got a really good vision for the long game. And the, the, the analogy I use for Amir and how much I admire him and his leadership style, 
is that it's kind of like, you know, the movie, the matrix. Yep. Amir is Neo in the movie. He is Neo for us in IOT, I think, and and maybe even crypto to some extent, although I I think there's a lot of geniuses in crypto, Uh, but he's up there. He, I told him like, I could be one of his like gang members. I might be good at a few things and I can sort of fight off Mr. Smith for a bit, but there's no fucking way I can survive that shit. Whereas Neo, so I can play the game, right? I can, I can try to compete with the best of them. Amir can actually recreate the game. He changes the game. That's the level in which Amir plays at. And I saw that over the three conversations I had with him. So my bet, you know, isn't necessarily on IOT or crypto or helium. It's on, it's on Amir Halim. That's why I'm here. Well, certainly, you know, he's been a guest twice on this podcast. Shortly. <laughs> Has he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. First two episodes were, were just me talking to Amir. So um, I definitely see the vision that you're talking about. And he's definitely, he's able to answer almost any question that you'll throw at him about the short term or the long term, which is, um, you know, entertaining and informative. And it's interesting that he was able to sort of, you know, woo you into being like, let's, let's, let's fucking do this. You know, uh, this is the time. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is the place. Like, let's go. Oh yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. He's, he's absolutely amazing in, in that. In the, I think the best analogy for it is that he, he knows how to change the game. He can, he can change the game in such a way that a few others can. And I think that's a huge competitive advantage for helium. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So let's talk about today's news. I'm pretty excited. I think other people are excited. I see a lot of people, you know, getting hyped up in the discord chat. Uh, and the news is that there is a new rack hotspot miner that was announced today. So this is the first helium hotspot right. available since last batch, which was sold out months yes. ago. It's coming yes. in at a $250 price point, which is yes. about half of the previous price point with all the functionality of the previous. That's right. So this is a huge development for anyone who's looking to build the people's network and, you know, 1100 pre-orders in the first two hours. Wow. Yes. Uh, so you want to talk a little more about this milestone, what it means for Helium, the company and to the network? Absolutely. I mean, it, there's a, uh, you know, I'm going to be fully transparent with you on this, on your show here. There's the good, the bad, and the unsure how ugly or how pretty it can be of what we've done. Um, first, the good. I think as a company, our as we've grown and changed over the last three years, right? Coming, coming from an IoT background as a company over seven years and, and really evolving into more than that, evolving into a, a crypto blockchain-centric company that's figured out a, an amazing incentive using a novel Helium blockchain to drive wireless connectivity build out without the costs associated with it. Really building out infrastructure, wireless infrastructure in a decentralized approach. That incentive is ultimately what Helium has, I think, created. That's unique to the helium, um, but that will help drive, I think, IoT connectivity f- to start. But that's just a greenfield. I, I hope that this drives all connectivity for for us moving forward, regardless of protocol. That's that's the game. Um, the the fact that we can now introduce third parties is part of the journey. I think 
Armand, you probably are fully aware, we, we didn't necessarily want to build a hotspot. We had no choice. I think the kindness scheme and this incentive model that we proposed is difficult for anyone to believe. It's everywhere from crazy to, you know, we've been called lots of things, insane, you know, audacious to liars. Yep. And happy to say we've proven we're not liars, I think. <laughs> um, perhaps we are crazy. And definitely this is audacious, no question. Um, but we're definitely not liars. And a part of that journey was to open source the stack. Um, and open sourcing things isn't just as simple as just throwing it on the internet. We want to be responsible and we want to make sure people understand what we're doing. So you have to document the thing. You have to make it easy to understand and utilize. So that's a lot of work. And that's a lot of work on, on the engineering team. And we have a small team. It's not like we're... We're not the size of Amazon or, or you know, or, or Facebook or Google. We're tiny. So to do all that work and to to create new technology is is just a, an amazing feat for me here and the team. Um, we the part of the journey we're on now is really for the last many months trying to get other manufacturers to believe us and drive them into this thinking of, hey, this incentive model can benefit them as well. And Helium Inc. just wants to open source it. We just want others to adopt it. So very happy, very, you know, very thankful to, to Rack Wireless to, you know, believe in us and, and do this. You know, they certainly, they certainly didn't have to. It's a risk on them, right? So we're really happy that they did. Um, and taking and utilizing all of our stack, making it easy for the end users uh, are a key part of that. Couchchip also uh, as a distributor, you know, really uh, I think went above and beyond just words. I think a lot of people are like, oh yeah, you guys are cool. This is interesting, but no, no one's willing to take the risk. And so for Couchchip to take the risk, you know, and the risk they're taking here as a distributor is they're essentially ordering taking orders on inventory and they're holding that inventory. And those are, you know, it's millions of dollars, right? So for a company like, like helium to do that, it, it's, it's a lot, it drains us uh, of time resources and money. And so for, for Calchip to take that on is, is huge for us. So. So can you help me understand the risk that Calchip is taking and that rack is taking it? And also the difference between them, because I'm, I'm not entirely clear, like is rack, building and manufacturing this thing is Calchip manufacturing and distributing or like what's the separation here between the two companies yeah sure no problem so rack wireless is the manufacturer of the rack hotspot miner they manufacture that in china and so what they are doing is essentially they're ordering all the parts so this is a bit of education on hardware supply chain as a manufacturer of hardware they, they need to have in stock all the bits, everything from the Pi 4s to the, that's the Raspberry Pi 4s, to the lower WAN modules, um, and any other you know, capacitor, capacitors, uh, casing, buttons, power supplies, antennas. Like they have to go and source all of that. And for them to source that without any you know, indication of demand, is very difficult, right? So most manufacturers won't do that because that means they'd be sitting on that inventory, which is, it costs money. And so 
they their risk is there they got to go do that and and they have to agree to go build something at scale uh, in hopes that there's demand so that's that's their part Couchship here is a distributor so they don't do the manufacturing what they do is they take they order product they pay rack money to you know and I, I don't know the details of their relationship but in many cases the distributor will have to pay the manufacturer some part or in whole uh, to cover the costs of all the inventory parts that are needed to build this and the distributor actually has to forecast out over time how many units they need per month so that the manufacturer knows the schedule for building just so you know like once you forecast a unit to be built it takes a manufacturer from sourcing to building to shipping you the thing about seven weeks. So it's, it's, it takes, so there's a seven week lag time for all of that. And that's, that's like with no, no COVID, no problems, right? No import issues, no fight between Trump and China. Like this is just like on a normal day, it's seven weeks. So right. you add in like COVID, you add in a trade war, tariffs, all that bullshit, man, who knows, right? seven weeks can become 10 weeks, who, who knows, or worse. So that's sort of the battle here um, that we're dealing with. And Helium was doing all of that, you know, with a 30 person shop, which is ridiculous. And it is insane. I mean, you guys have got to be one of the most productive companies <laughs> I've ever seen. And I don't know if that comes at the cost of just like continuously burning everyone out or, or if, you know, you guys have managed to reach some healthy rhythm there, but it is truly remarkable. It is remarkable. I mean, the team, I have to say, the, the, everyone from the engineering side to support, uh, to sales and marketing and BD, I feel like we're just, I didn't even think we can run marathons, but this is a, this is a freaking marathon. And not a normal marathon. This is a fast paced marathon. We have to run quick. We got competitors coming like Amazon sidewalk. So, you know, we can't just sit around. Um, it's, uh, it's hard. It's not, it's definitely probably the hardest I've ever experienced. Um, the most amount of work for sure, but the team is amazing. Uh, so kudos to the team for sure. And I, I have to say like a, a lot of our decisions, it's, you know, we don't, we don't ultimately know how things will turn out, but it really does help to have, you know, the community as a part of this. A lot of the feedback has come from folks like you and others from the community that are vocal. That's really helped us in forming our decisions. And so pushing for a distributor, pushing to offload the hardware to someone that can scale it for much cheaper, like a rack wireless was through a lot of feedback from the community. Uh, from the people's network and everyone on discord um, that's been very helpful for us but the supply chain is is ultimately incredibly difficult and so by the way the se the seven week mark i mentioned also assumes that all the bits and parts are available it assumes that the raspberry pis are available it assumes and that means like readily available you can get it in a couple of days and assumes that the lower wan modules from simtech are available meaning you can get it in a couple of days. And because we're using the latest tech from SimTech on the lower side, you know, they've, they're, they're a hardware company as well. They're a semiconductor company and they're, they're trying to figure out their supply chain and, and their fab fabrication process, which I think they host in Thailand. You know, one, one uh, bad batch or one batch that has a low yield on semiconductors there ruins everything, right? So it just, there's, there's a whole chain of events here. And it, when, when it's hardware, it just 
fucking takes forever. Have there been any bad batches that, that we don't know about? Have you guys just been like incredibly lucky that things have worked out, albeit slowly? Well, I mean, we're lucky. No, all the, you know, it's been sourcing parts like raspberry pies. I don't know if you know, they had a shortage for a while. Um, Simtech Laura chips have had shortages all because of high demand. Um, but thankfully for now, we think, you know, we think we're in a good rhythm with all those guys where we've got, you know, we've got at least a, the ability to see ahead and say, okay, they've got parts enough for whatever amount of weeks or months ahead. Um, and that's, you know, that's why you need like a, a cow chip and a rack wireless. Cause they do all that. They, they forecast the way hardware companies should versus like helium yellowing it. So, <laughs> so how do these partnerships come about? Because I know Calchip, I looked them up. I think they're like a 40 plus year old company, like a really yeah. old company. Yeah. Um, and you've worked with rack before to develop yeah. the rack two, two, eight, seven concentrator yes. module. So, yes. so what were the conversations like with these two companies and how'd you get in touch with Calchip? Yeah. So rack wireless, uh, I'll kind of start there. Rack wireless, um, was a relationship that Amir developed because he found them on like Alibaba or something. Like Amir just tinkers all the time. And so he looks for Laura Wan stuff and he just orders it. So he ordered like, I remember he, in the early days, he ordered like 10 or 15 of these rack gateways, like developer gateways. And he just uh, sent a note to via Alibaba <clears throat> and the CEO, Ken, like reply to Amir within like an hour or two because they're on the they're in China so they're in different time zones, and the guy has some questions that he wanted to clarify with Amir about like radio frequencies, because they had not seen a whole lot of interest from the U.S. before, and so Amir clarified that, and we got you know we got the units within a few weeks. Amir is playing around with them. Hey, these things are pretty good. Like these are actually pretty good developer gateways, great signal strength and all that. The UI sucks, of course, but other than that, it looks good. So he just, that's how it started with, with Rack Wireless. It was just through like Amir tinkering. And Amir, I think, has probably played with every single LoRaWAN gateway out there in existence. He's, he's purchased them all. He has them all. He has an opinion about all of them. You, I don't know if you asked him last time, but I think his terminology was it's a clusterfuck of shit. Yeah, I saw him quoted on the Discord today uh, as saying, saying that. Uh, I think he did mention on one of our previous episodes that Laura gateways were ranged from like a few hundred bucks to like, like 10,000. So, Oh yeah. Sounds like yeah. he's, uh, he's delved deep in that. Regard. Very, very. And I have to say, just to qualify that, like the lower end gateways are all difficult to work with because they're not meant for the average hobbyist. They're industrial based and likely built for like telcos where I think for some reason, telcos like complexity <laughs> and so the more complicated it is the better i guess and the more you charge for it it's it's really bad um but for the you know for the audience we're going after simple easy um you know beautiful looking is what we want right a great ux and a great ui so that's what our team focuses on so so rack was interested in working with you guys because they wanted to expand their u.s presence Yes. So, so I think Rack, as well as I think any LoRaWAN ecosystem player was curious. I don't know if they were like excited to work with us, or just sort of curious because obviously we're either crazy or liars, right? At the time, because we haven't proven ourselves really. Right. So 
but I think Rack was kind of like curious to see, okay, well, these guys are crazy. Let's go see what they got. Um, so we started working with them and they, they, they helped us build our first and second batches of our helium hotspot. Actually, no, they built their second batch. The first batch, we had a local shop in California do it. Um, it was just really expensive, which represents in the price that we were selling them for. I think four ninety five dollars uh, is what we came out with. Super expensive, but it was built locally. And so it was expensive to, in small batches. The second batch, the larger batch, we just we sold out of. That's from from Rack Wireless. It was a little bit a little bit better, but the we got we really just we got, I guess we just had some bad luck there on that. We thought moving to China would make things cheaper for everyone, but in fact, it did not. Ultimately, we lost a lot of money on that. Um, the U.S. when we decided to go with Rack, the U.S. had not instituted a trade war. By the time we were taking delivery, the U.S. and China were in a full-on trade war. So everything we bought from China had a 30% markup, thanks to our our administration. So that is really interesting. So the trade yeah. war is directly responsible for the fact that you guys couldn't get the price down below three hundred right. bucks. That's right. The goal was to to do that. That was why we went to China to build this. Um, that was the forecasted cost. What we did not account for was the extra import duty tax on Chinese goods that was imposed by our, our uh, current administration. So, so we paid it. We had a price wow. to pay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's unfortunate. That's, it's interesting to, to hear because I, I, I was definitely thinking about that. Like they moved to China, but the price is just about the same. I wonder, wonder what's up yeah. with that. Um, yeah. So it's really, really interesting to hear, hear that little backstory there. Yeah, it's um, horrible. Yeah, but uh, you know, ultimately, the new hotspots that are released today are half the price of the previous, the first generation, at least. If you compare four ninety five to two fifty, which, you know, if you think about it on a yearly basis, reducing the price by half in one year, not bad. Not bad. As, let's just we'll talk about supply in a minute. But assuming assuming unlimited supply, how do you think this would affect the growth of the network? If we could achieve a run rate of unlimited supply, let's say, I, I would assume just in North America alone, we probably end up shipping a few thousand units a month easily. I mean, we just sold out, I think, of 4,000 units in less than four hours. Wow. But I think a lot of that's pent up demand, right? We've been, we've been like dry for 45 days in North America. So over that 45 days, we've had pent up demand and, but my guess is even with that pent up demand and, you know, future demand, you're looking at a few thousand units a month uh, going out the door fairly easily. Um, and that, again, I may be underestimating this whole thing. Who knows? And we're not even accounting for Europe and Asia, by the way. Um, there's so much, we get so many inbounds on Europe and Asia. It's, it's ridiculous. Oh, I can only, I can only imagine. And, and so from the previous batch, I know there were some reserved for Europe. Were there also some reserved for Asia and will those still be shipping to Asia? We, we had, we had some reserve for Asia. Um, we've run into some supply chain issues. Uh, funny enough. Uh, we just couldn't get enough parts. Uh, and these are specific radios for the Asian market. And so there's some shortages on that. That's causing some delays here for Asia. But um, I think third-party 
the third party growth is going to be the answer for us. Again, I think it's, and it's more than just rack wireless. We have two other vendors in the pipeline. Uh, they're just working out their cogs, which are their costs on, on hardware components. And so as soon as they figure that stuff out, uh, we hope to have, you know, more thousands of units available from other vendors. And that's, that's the whole point, right? That's the whole point of really creating a decentralized effort here. Um, so I think you've seen a couple of things. You've seen us release the rack wireless today via CalChip. Um, but prior to this, you saw we really opened up the Alpha Miner Pro program, right? We've got DIYs out there that's mining now. I think there's over 200. And there's the demand on that is insane. It's like 100 new signups a day for wow. a DIY. So, the, the, and again, these are all representative, I think, of the idea of decentralization, right? The idea that each and every individual could become an, an owner and operator of, of a network. That, that's the key. And, and having this incentive model fuels that, uh, fuels that dream and fuels that, I think, to reality. So I think those are the critical aspects of this. And so we need, we absolutely need more, right? More than just rack. Um, we need the three, the two, the two others coming on board. We're going after a few more. And I think, I think ultimately once you hit sort of a, you, you hit a, a point where this becomes its own flywheel and third party hardware manufacturers just start to show up. And that's what we want. We want to get there as fast as we can. Because once that happens, there there is less of this problem of, you know, the helium in the ecosystem not meeting demand. And that that's really, that gets into sort of like the the bad side of all this. While we've done this, I feel like we're still falling short on meeting demand. The demand is there. Uh, we just keep, we just keep underestimating it, I guess. Yeah. So moving on to that. Uh it's kind of happened as we were recording, but uh, as you said, 4,000 sold in four hours, incredible demand, a lot of it pent up demand, um, and October shipments are now sold out. <clears throat> so the, the initial uh, page when it went live this morning said ships in October, now it says October shipments sold out, additional yeah. rack hotspot miners will start shipping in December. Right. So I, I'm, I assume that means, that, you know, aside from uh, previous batch hotspots that haven't been activated yet, we can expect a growth of about 4,000 uh, hotspots in the next couple month, months added to the network, uh, not including DIY. Of course, yeah. um, there, there are things to work out there, right, with, with uh, trusting arbitrary hardware and software. Right. Um, right. Um, yeah, do you want to talk about that balance a bit? Uh, DIY hotspots, as you said, you know, growth is key, right? You, you want to grow this network as fast as possible. I mean... Network effect, right? You want to create the network effect. You want it to be as strong as possible, as fast as possible. And that's sort of what ensures the success or, or at least makes failure a lot less, exponentially less likely. Um, and to get there, you want to be able to have any hardware on the network. But uh, you also have this trust issue where if you're trusting arbitrary hardware, uh, there's a lot of ways that the system may be vulnerable. Um, and so, you know, third-party manufacturers are sort of like a good middle ground here because you get to decentralize the supply chain a bit, you get to decentralize the distribution a bit, you get to reduce the price, but you can still count on trusted hardware. Um, so how are you guys thinking about balancing those two things? And, and what, do you have any timeline in mind for, for DIY? Because in my mind, you know, there's still a lot of challenges to be solved there. There's definitely a ton of challenges there. Um, I think, 
you know, obviously our engineers are continuously working on that and trying to figure that out. I think the ultimate answer there is going to come from the community, right, through the HIP process. Um, because I think in this case, the more brains we have on it, the better the solution will be. And I think there's multiple ways to tackle this. I don't think there's one sort of silver bullet here. So I, I, I definitely want to defer that to, you know, the community and, and Amir and the rest of the uh, DY organization on that one. I don't have the answer for it. I do think what we can do, um, certainly as an interim in long term, is to keep driving diversity of manufacturers. And, and ideally, they're, they're all reputable in the sense that their incentive is aligned with the incentive of the network, right? So if, if all the manufacturers see demand in this space where they create a quality product and they can leverage our open source UI and UX for it, uh, and the consumers that buy it see value in that it does, you know, it's, it's low cost, it's easy to use, plug and play, et cetera. I think the incentives are all aligned and you, you end up with a, a usable, um, ubiquitous network and that's what we want. Um, so I think, I think there's a lot there. There's a lot of moving parts and the things that we can control, at least from, from my end uh, on my side is really driving uh, third-party manufacturing adoption as fast as I can. So is the blockchain ready to support all these new hotspots? I've noticed that uh, in the past month, there was at least one issue that caused block times to slow a bit, uh, partially due to the growth of the network, but also partially due to just some really inefficient code. And, and I also saw Amir say in the Discord that, you know, probably up to half of engineering time is spent just trying to make the blockchain more performant, which is clearly a big challenge because the blockchain is running entirely on Raspberry Pis, which blows my mind every time <laughs> I think about it. Um, but, but at what point are we going to have to say, okay, third-party manufacturers have a steady supply flow. You know, we're getting yeah. a few thousand per month. We got to move this thing over to cloud mining. And what does that all look like? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, th I, think the, I think the blockchain is scaling. I, I think they've solved a lot of the issues that we, we, we saw early on even. I th what are we at now? 9,000 hotspots or eight, just shy of that? Is there 86, 8,700? Right? Yeah. I, I think, look, I think the sort of gradual growth from like 8,700 to let's call it 10,000 from 10,000 to 12,000. I think that kind of growth on our blockchain uh, today is fine. I think that's, that's going to scale well. I think where we start to see like hiccups and stalls is when we jump from like 8,700 to like 16,000 overnight. <laughs> right. Right. But I think that kind of scaling hurts. It doesn't matter who you are. It, you, you see problems, I think it, everywhere. Um, but I, I think, I think the team has accounted for that because we did that last time. I think we went from like 3,400 to like 6,000 in a matter of a couple of weeks. And that's when we had the, you know, I don't know what you call it, like the heartburn <laughs> on the blockchain. Um, but I think they figured out how to fix that. I think some of the changes you see with how we onboard hotspots with the sync times and using snapshotting, a lot of the side chain uh, stuff that we, the state machines or state, what do we call it? State channels. Uh, state channels, thanks. The state channel work that is in place now really helps. So you've seen the team like really evolve their thinking because of how the 
how the network is growing. So it's just, I don't know how to say it. It's part of the, part of the growth pains of any tech, any new technology that you see out there, especially one that's creating infrastructure at a decentralized scale. I think that's incredibly difficult, but and it's hard. It's incredibly difficult to predict, right? So that's one of the things we struggle with is how do you predict that kind of growth and the behaviors and the effects of that kind of growth? I don't think anyone can, um, but you know, we're doing the best we can. And I think the community hit process is, is, you know, it's great. It's going well. Yeah. The hip process is awesome. We've definitely had a, a couple of huge victories there, especially hip 10, which was sort of yeah. universally loved. And I'd love to talk about that more on another episode, yeah. trying to get the right people aligned there. For sure. um, and, and as far as scaling the blockchain, yeah, I think there, it's really been cool to watch the transparent engineering process where you guys sort of write on your engineering blog, like, Hey, you know, this is what was fucked up. And we kind of realized that, you know, this certain, this certain uh, constraint wasn't there. Like for example, when there were, you know, hundreds of hotspots within like a five mile radius or something. And, and it's just like, well, it turns out if you're trying to construct proof of coverage paths for those, it becomes like a exponential uh, big O notation problem to, to find all the possible paths and all the possible witnesses. And so, you know, we had to limit the amount of time we spend processing proof of coverage receipts. I thought that yeah. was a really interesting and uh, it's really interesting to see that detailed because, you know, when the fix goes out, you see, oh, wow, everything just returned to normal. Like that really was the problem. And of course, as you said, you can't really predict these things. It's just kind of unknown unknowns left and right. Um, and, and, and yeah, it does seem like there's a path forward to scaling the blockchain, especially because we have this interesting lever, which is just you can reduce the challenge interval by half, right? Make it twice as long between challenges. And that basically doubles the scalability of, of the whole thing. Um, by having the transactions per block. And it seems like that could be done maybe a couple more times. And of course, the only downside being that it makes the earnings much more intermittent. And then people come in and they're like, what the hell? I didn't earn anything yesterday. And then I earned a lot the next day. But I think that's sort of a, a slow growing pain. And as I've seen Amir and others say, you know, once we get to cloud mining, that's not really going to be as much of an issue. But certainly, you know, the user experience is largely maintained. Uh, I think the, the the blockchain is extremely stable as of now. And um, yeah, as far as the user experience of the new hotspots, from my understanding, it's going to be pretty much exactly the same as the previous batches, right? You just download the Helium app, you scan the hotspot and you add it to your account, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's less moving parts on the rack hotspot miner. Like it doesn't have like a on and off button as an example. And so the problem, process is just basically plugging that thing in waiting for like, I don't know, 60 seconds for it to boot up or whatever. Maybe it's 120 seconds. Once it boots up, it's, you know, initial state is Bluetooth is on and it's waiting for your app to join. And once your app joins, you could just go with the same Helium hotspot app flow and you can select the, you can select a rack hotspot miner. You'll, you'll see a picture of it and you'll go through that flow. It's no different. So what happens when you need to update the location or change the Wi-Fi network? How do you get back into that Bluetooth? Mode? I think it's a, it's a hard uh, power cycle to get it, to get the Bluetooth up. And uh, basically Bluetooth is on during boot up, like the first five minutes of boot up, the Bluetooth is active. Okay. So you active. have, yeah, you have a pretty wide window to get things done. Yeah, you do. People just need to be patient because those Raspberry Pis take a, like, I don't know, two minutes to boot up or something. I don't remember. 
something like that. Got it. So it's not going to be the exact same experience, but it's going to be like, you know, 90% the same. I, I would say so. Yeah. 90% the same, no button, right? It's just a power cycle, but that's not too hard. So are the, are the new hotspots going to receive the same support and OTA updates as the helium manufactured hotspots? Yes. Same firmware, same OTA support, same support organization, support at helium.com. So no changes there. Amazing. I'm sure the community cannot wait to get their hands on these, uh, whether it's uh, getting their shipment in October, if they were lucky enough to get in on those four hours uh, where 4,000 were ordered. Congratulations yeah. to all those people. And um, for everyone else, you know, getting in line to pre-order, not a bad idea. Not a bad December idea. shipment, a lot better than no shipment, right? For sure. No, I was going to say like, it's, this is where I, I, we got to, you know, we, we have to come up with, some way of getting more volume and units out there because traditionally just based off of sort of our last year's experience around the Thanksgiving and Christmas timeframe for North America, like the sales are insane. Like there's so much demand, right? Um, these things make the perfect gift. Like if you can't think of something to give your mom and dad or whatever, you know, giving them a healing hotspot is probably the best thing you can do. And so last season, you know, we were very new to the market we saw amazing demand, but now that we're, you know, we've proven ourselves after, you know, 12 months at this thing, I think this year's demand is going to be crazy insane. We have to like figure out a way to get, I don't know, 10 times more than we think probably. Well, looking forward to tracking the progress there and seeing how it ends up. If you've got two more manufacturers in the pipeline, clearly, you know, there's some, at some point there will be an announcement um, that the next one will be online and the next one. So you know, That's here's right. here's hoping for steady supply chains, um, maybe more favorable treatment by the U.S. government, though I really highly doubt that. And um, you know, just marching on forward. I think you guys are pushing the envelope every day. There's a lot of exciting stuff happening on the software side too, and I think especially watching DIY hotspots. I see you guys added a channel in the Discord called "We Just Went Live," which is very oh cool. really, <laughs> yeah. So it's for it looks like it's for uh, DIY alpha program folks to post their setups and, and sort of post when they went live. So um, that's going to be fun to watch. And yeah, is there anything else that you'd like to add or share with the community? Yeah, I definitely want to thank the community uh, for being so engaged. This is something that you can't manufacture, right? It's, it's organic. So the fact that there's so many people out there that believe this, believe us. And, you know, I, I really want to thank the community for, being positive with us and, you know, being positive and supportive with each other. That's amazing. I think that's just sort of, hopefully that shows everyone that's a reflection on how we are as a company. Um, And I don't know, we couldn't ask for better members like squirrel fucker. Like I love that name. I had to give him a shout out. I don't know if you'll listen. (laughs) I think squirrel fucker is actually a female. So, uh, Oh really? Yeah. Give her a shout out. Oh, Uh, sorry. I, yeah. you know, I saw that request to give it, get a shout out and there, there you go, Squirrelfucker. Sure. We love you. Yeah, there you go, Squirrelfucker. Um, no, actually though, like no joke, Squirrelfucker, very engaged community member, has a lot of interesting things to say. Many, many engaged community members. I mean, I think this is really one of the first communities I've been a part of where there's just so much exciting stuff going on in every channel that even if I were to dedicate all of every day to try and keep up with everything, which I kind of tr- try to do some days because, you know, I'm, I'm in this position and I'm bringing this 
uh, information to everybody. And, and I want to be able to convey all the most interesting projects going on within Helium. It's just far too much to keep up with. It's actually impossible. So, and, and considering that, you know, this is just the very beginning of, of the network's growth, like, God, imagine where it'll be in a year. Yeah, I, I want to, and I want to, like, I want to ask the community, um, and I don't know how to get the community involved here, because I think probably the, the best thing that can happen to all of us, that's part of the People's Network, is Amazon Sidewalk basically validating the need for a low power wide area network within communities. And so we need to figure out how to leverage that. I don't know if that's getting our, we have like well, almost 4,000 members in discord here is super active, getting everyone to like go on Twitter or go on whatever publication that talks about Amazon sidewalk and just get helium in the conversation somehow whether it be it through intelligent commenting or witty comments to trolling. I don't know. Like, I don't know the answer to that, but we, we need to enable, I think I want what I, and I think I asked this in general yesterday. Um, we need to figure out a way to enable everyone so that they understand how they can engage and leverage that wave. Cause what Amazon sidewalk is going to do is create massive awareness, right? For your neighbors and friends that we, we couldn't reach. Um, so they can make a choice whether they want to sell their private information to a central authority or keep it private for themselves, but still have the same benefits of a, a, a long range network for IOT devices. So I don't know. I, I love the community to comment on that, either give you some feedback or give me feedback. I mean, I'd love to figure out how to enable them. Yeah. Let's dig into that for a moment before we wrap up. They just yeah. released a big press release yesterday detailing more about Amazon Sidewalk. And this has been a very secretive project. I think we first heard about it last year, right? Was it, was it last year? Yeah, a year ago. Mm -hmm. A year ago. So we didn't really know a lot. We just know that they wanted to create sort of a, a layer for connecting devices around the home that was not based on Wi-Fi. Uh, and now we know we have a lot more details as of yesterday. It's going to be based on Bluetooth low energy. It's going to be uh, based on the Amazon Ring camera. And I believe one other... Was there another hardware element there? The Echo. And the, and the Amazon Echo. Okay. So, so these will be like the hotspots if you were to create a, a direct analogy. That's right. And uh, there's no incentive model for the hosts other than you and your neighbors will be able to have better connectivity for your devices. That's right. It does not use LoRaWAN. Um, right. And I don't know. Is it permissioned or permissionless? It's been kind of hard to, to figure that out. Think, it seems, seems permission. I think it's gated. It, I think it is gated by, by Amazon because it's proprietary and it's opt in by default, meaning you're going to automatically share your network and your data without permission. So you, you have to opt Yikes. out. You have to go and figure out how to like not let them do this. Right. And, and yeah. it's an interesting comparison between helium and amazon sidewalk because before yesterday's press release i really thought that there was going to be some direct competition it seems like the competition the overlap is very small uh do you view the, the amazon sidewalk as a true competitor or just sort of an adjacent product that sort of provides awareness in the space i i would i would treat them as a direct competitor in that they they have reach right i mean as much as we complain, we all have Amazon Prime. <laughs> we all we all enjoy the convenience. Of, <sighs> Guilty as charged. Right? 
yeah, as much as we, we hate to, it's like we hate to love them or something. It's just, you, you know, it, it's, it's difficult. I would, I would see them as a direct competitor. I wouldn't, I wouldn't underestimate their abilities just because they have so much reach. You know, I don't know how many Amazon Echoes are out there. I don't have one, I'm happy to say, but I think everyone does. <laughs> everyone else does probably. And when you think about that, 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 those are all, you know, Amazon hotspots or Amazon's approach to tracking everything they can inside the home. And with Ring and Ring's home security business, that has a, a, another level of detail of security and data that they have. I, I don't know if most people know, but the Amazon Ring product already shares your video surveillance with the local police department. So it's not like, it's not like they're not, you know, increasing surveillance already, you know, and those, those are the concerns, right? I think those are the questions that most consumers don't ask. I think they just assume or they just blindly trust. And that's, that's unfortunate, but the effect and the result is they have access to massive footprint. And so I would see that as a, as a, as direct competition. Um, but in that, in that vein though, they, they essentially validated the market that we're going after. The problem we've helium and the people's network has been trying to solve is that we fundamentally, fundamentally believe that there needs to be a ubiquitous way for IOT devices to connect to the internet. It, it, regardless of whether it's in your home or office or outdoors, but it shouldn't just be cellular, right? That, that can't be the answer. So I think Amazon there just proved that, yes, our thesis was correct. That, that fundamentally is a problem. And they, they have an approach. We have an approach. It happens to be polar opposites, but I think we're driving towards the same goal. I just want to point out that, that Amazon has, doesn't seem to have a plan for covering sort of the wider landscape outside of suburban areas. Correct. So how do you think about that? I mean, Helium, like you're incentivized to basically go put a hotspot on the Empire State Building or, you know, the World Trade Center and like, you know, serve as much coverage as possible and, and you'll be, you know, greatly rewarded for that. So, so, you know, what about those in between or sort of those more commercial or industrial use cases that Amazon Sidewalk doesn't really cover? Yeah, I think you're drawing, you're pointing out a, a, a key differentiator there. I think that's where Helium and our association with LoRaWAN and that LoRaWAN ecosystem is a different, a very different value add, right? So we, with, with companies that create that kind of gateway. So you, we're talking about companies like Tectelic and Curlink and Cisco, where they have these outdoor gateways um, that are cellular backed or have some other kind of backhaul. Some some are satellite based. You can you can think now more in uh, rural areas or areas that are are focused on different applications, whether it be warehousing or agriculture technology, um, oil and gas. Uh, that that's a different application. That's not what Amazon's addressing at all. And so I think I think LoRaWAN as an ecosystem is a much better fit for that. And I think that's where, you know, this this sort of cloud miner DIY mining capability, or even just loading our, our helium mining onto third party hardware becomes very important. That's why the that's why this release with Rack Wireless is so so crucial for us. It's just a beginning of many more. Well, looking forward to the to the results of the beginning and the many more, and I'm sure everyone else is too. I'm excited to see the re replies to the, the feedback that you've prompted from the community. I'm sure there will be plenty. 
If you guys haven't seen it yet, we've got a channel now in the Discord. Uh, it's under the special category. It's the Hotspot Podcast. So please come on in there, give your feedback, talk to Frank. Um, on, on Discord, I believe you're at Little Frankie. Yes, sir. Very stable genius. Love it. Um, and yeah, looking forward to, to talking to everyone. Also, just want to add, you know, topics that you guys are interested in hearing about. Um, I'm always looking to, you know, give you the content you want. So let's chat. Let's talk in Discord. Frank, thank you so much for your time. This has been a great conversation. And uh, yeah, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much, Roman. I really appreciate it. You too. Thank you. All righty. Take care.